What up, what it do, and what's good, people? Look, I have been inspired. So today, I will start off the show with a soliloquy. What? No, I can't spell it, but I can say it. And look, for those of you out there who are kind of looking at me dumbfounded, a soliloquy is the act of speaking one's thoughts aloud when by yourself or, or regardless of anybody is listening. Okay? So, here we go. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of troubles, and by opposing in them. To die, to sleep no more, and by a sleep to say we end the heartache and thousand natural shocks that the flesh is heir to. It is a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die, to sleep, to sleep perchance to dream. Ah, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressed is wrong. The proud man's contumely. The pangs of despised love. I know, I know, you're looking like, does he really, really gonna sit here and do Hamlet? Look, if you don't know, you have tuned into another exciting episode of Talk the Talk with Mo Orr. Look, we have so much to talk about today, so many topics to cover. So before we get started, this would be the perfect time to tell anyone and everyone that is not watching or listening to go watch the show and go listen to my damn podcast. Yeah, I know, I get these questions all the time, all the time. Everybody wanna know, okay, Mo, so where can I watch the podcast? So I'm, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you where you can watch this podcast. On Roku, Fire TV, and Apple TV. Just go on, search the high school narrative, and then you good. Or you can go into our app at www.thsn.today. Watch, submit, share. So go download the app. Look, and if you want to listen to these shows, it's very easy and accessible. Go to Apple and Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, and Spotify. Look, and, uh, here's what I need from you. I need you to kind of help support THSN and go ahead and go to our t uh, team store at thsn.store. It'll give you some uh, nice discounts on some athletic gear. And over these past four months of quarantine, people have been watching the show religiously. So I thank you for that. Really, really appreciate it. So we've had some so many listeners and viewers asking, how can they support the show? So we have developed a patrons page. So just go to patrons.com backslash Moor 
all one word, and give us your feedback. I got some funny stuff on there, just so you know. Humble? Of course I'm humble. I know you're looking at me. Are you really humble? I'm really humble. It's some good stuff on there, behind-the-scenes stuff, when I'm talking to Scott before the show, the show starts. So it's there for you. All right, look, we have a great show lined up for you today. Some really, really, really inspirational guests on the show today. I'm excited about it. But of course, first, I have to pay some shout outs to our lovely sponsors. So this podcast today is brought to you by The Jerky Zone. If you're looking for that high protein packed snack to get your back on track, next stop, The Jerky Zone. And Intro Wheels, where custom rims make your classic cars come to life. And lastly, Advantage Capital Management, where the plus in the logo signifies above and beyond commitment to adding value to investments by providing A-plus impact to the world we touch. Today's topic, to be or not to be. That is the question. My first guest is the program director of 417 Recovery in Mission Viejo, California. Please welcome back Scott Callen. And of course, we have a beautiful face on the call today. She's an alumni of uh, 417 Recovery. Please welcome Riley to the show. What's going on, Riley? How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm a little nervous because I get to speak to you today. <laughs> nervous? Yeah, why can I be nervous? You think you're the only one that can be nervous? All right, fine. You can be nervous. All right, cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. See how kind she is. Look, also with me is uh, my wart of a friend. You can never cut him off because he'll always come back. CTO, High School Narrative, Tony Rosignal. What's going on, Tony? Hamlet. Hamlet, I'm doing good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I had to throw a little twist in there for you today, man. Let me tell you, Mo. They got 52 cards in the deck and you play all 52, baby. <laughs> Have a good time with the show. Uh, again, Riley, thank you so much. And Scott, great to see you. Hey, got a question. Anybody seen Stevie? Oh, I think she, she's sleeping. She's <laughs> sleeping by now. Yeah. She'll, she'll tell us, oh, no, no, I am so busy today. Uh, it was, it, look, normally we do this show a lot earlier. Stevie's okay. Okay, one time we did one around 5 o'clock. She was nodding off during the show. I thought it was deep. Maybe I was going to get offended. But today, I think she drank all her Red Bulls, five-hour energy drinks and all that stuff too early in the day. She could not recover from what's about to happen, so I think she's uh, asleep. Uh, so I'm going to say to you, Stevie, uh, look me in the face right now. Good night. You're welcome. <laughs> well, Mo, I'll tell you what would get her going. She needs that uh, high-protein snack to get her back on track. Right there, the jerky zone. The jerky you zone. guys have a great show. All right, look, let me first say that we have partnered up with 417 Recovery with the hopes of reaching adolescents, teens, and their families all over the world, all over the world with the hopes of being able to help them and their families with everything from addiction, uh, recovery, anxiety, depression, vaping, bullying, anything that might give them the pathway to success. So if you're looking or need it, if you're a parent and you're looking for some help, Go ahead and reach out to 417 Recovery by uh, going to 417recovery.com, um, 855-417-2417, or if you're in the uh, Inland Empire or Purgatory, 417recoverypalmdesert.com, 
844-417-3417. Make sure you get there before 2 o'clock because uh, Stevie might need to take a nap. All right? So, um, <laughs> she's going to be on us. I might get text tomorrow to mess with Stevie yeah. today. Uh, Riley, how are you? Uh, Scott, how are you? How are you, sir? What's going on? I'm great, man. I'm just happy to be indoors and out of the heat and sitting with you guys. Yeah, I know, man. It's crazy because it is literally 90-something degrees today or something like that in did Southern you, California. Did you see yesterday in the desert, 121? 121 in the desert. Yeah. It's a dry heat. It's a, it's a dry heat. <laughs> I don't care how dry it is. Dude. Yeah. That's hot. Yeah. The wind is blowing uh, heat, man. That's uh, that's crazy. Uh, Riley, are you enjoying this weather? This is your type of weather, right? Nope. <laughs> Not really. Yours either, huh? All right, that's no. good to know. I'm happy that's to be to in know. the air conditioning. Yeah, yeah, until the bill comes, just so you know. You um, so, so Riley, what, what's going on with you? So, uh, look, I've always been told, I, my mom, you know, because she'll watch the show and then she'll call me and go, did you really just ask her that? I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, you don't have to answer, uh, how old are you? I am 24. 24 years young. See, 24 years young. So, Mom, I'm sorry, but I had to do it. It's a part of the deal. You know what I'm saying? I need to know who I'm talking to. Totally. <laughs> uh, I would ask Tony his age, but you look, you can see it. You're, you're okay. <laughs> so, um, talk to me. So, when were you first? I think I, I, I heard that you were uh, a part of a different program in the beginning. So, the beginning part is the bridge. So, when did this all take place for you? And uh, when did you join 417, uh, the bridge? Uh, this was when I was 17. So, I was in a senior in high school. Senior in high school. Um, what brought you in? Did you just, I'm assuming you just drove over there, got out your car, walked in, and said, Hey, what's going on? My name's Riley. Just want to talk to you guys. Is that kind of how it happened? <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> uh, originally, my parents uh, took me in uh, because they needed help with me and didn't really know what to do. So they did their research, brought me in. Um, I was interviewed by Scott, um, just, you know, what's going on in my life. And um, we decided it was too much of a time commitment to do with anything along those lines. Um, so my parents just decided to do weekly therapy and um, it wasn't really working. Um, and then I did end up having to go to the bridge 417 um, when after I was uh, hospitalized, I, I was on a um, 5150 hold for three days and um, they wouldn't release me until I was in an outpatient program. So. Um, so Scott came and interviewed me again, and I joined the program after that. So I'm asking you because everybody don't know what 5150 is. So could you tell them what a 5150 hold is? Of course. So um, it's a mandatory at least 72 hour hold um, that's uh, given to you by a doctor, um, basically so you are not a danger to yourself. And once you are no longer a danger to yourself or others, they are able to release you back into society. Um, so I, I did the, the full 72 hours um, and they felt I was no longer a danger to myself. Um, I was just at, like suicidal at that point. Okay, so let's kind of start from the beginning. So you said that your parents took you in because they wanted to find out a way, uh, they wanted to get you some help for what you were, things that was going on with you. 
at that time? Couldn't they just have asked you and then you said, hey, this is what's wrong? Uh, I think I didn't know what was wrong at that point either. Um, I just wasn't acting like myself, like I had been uh, for my entire 17 years of existence. Um, and I was heavily into um, like sports in high school. And so uh, doing any sort of outpatient program, it, it was only three days a week, but um, it was right after school. So it would have interfered with sports. So, um, so that's why didn't end up moving in that direction but I don't I didn't know what was wrong with me either so it was hard for it was hard for my parents to help when like they didn't really know what was wrong and and great answer I I was kind of asking that just to kind of get that um from you and then you had said something about uh you guys you didn't have time um in the beginning to do it because of athletics I'm assuming you said you were in sports what sports did you play I played softball. Softball, any other sports or just just the one sport? Just softball. Um, at the time was trying to go to college and play, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of tanked because because of my behavior and because I, I needed further help and um, just kind of like fell to the wayside, but um, but I was really into it. Awesome, so that's, that's your, that was your love and passion. Yeah, exactly. So you let so you know you can write into somebody for the Olympics and let them know softball should be an Olympic sport. Just so you know, I just had to get that. Out. I've been trying to digress that, Tony, for at least three years. Just so you know, I finally found a way to get it out. Now I feel better. <laughs> Mo, when you it can't be an Olympic sport when the U.S. team. I think it's uh, Riley, U.S. and China, right? I mean, there's nobody else that really is that competitive nationally. Yeah, true. I think the reason they took it out is because they said that. You know, for every women's sport, there has to be a men's sport and vice versa. And baseball and softball were two different things. Um, so they took out both of them. Oh, so they, oh, and, and they took out men's baseball. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. two different things. Baseball and softball, they're trying to see that it's not important. It's important. It's, it's exactly. important to somebody. I bet they realize how important it is right now. <laughs> I'm sure they would. Because <laughs> hey, I've been watching Korean baseball. I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to catch... <laughs> Some uh, some baseball games, and if it was softball, I'd have been watching that too. Just so you know. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so um, and I was saying about the time because you know it was interesting to me. And school is important. Don't get me wrong. School is important, but life is more important because without life, there is no school. Exactly. Um, so I was interested to hear your take. Now looking back on it, do you think that? If you could have done it all again and said, hey, I just want to go into the treatment program so I can get this taken care of right away, get all the help I need, because it might help my career later on in life. Did you, did you guys kind of think about that at all? Not really. Um, it wasn't even a thought at the time. And it, I, I hadn't accepted that I wasn't okay at the time, too. And so I kind of had... Um, influenced my parents into thinking that it was too much of a time commitment and that I was more interested in in like softball practice and whatever than I would be doing that. And so that's, I think I, I had influenced their decision more than anything, kind of persuaded them that it was too much. Um, so looking back, yeah, it would have been much nicer to go in a couple months earlier than I did um, because it just got worse. See, I, I, I wrote down, she is persuasive. 
I'm sure I wrote down right here. <laughs> and I was like, because I've been looking at you like, that sounds great. But we're going to go ahead and walk straight, walk that ass straight into 417. Scott, meet me at the door. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, at the age of 17, what did you feel um, you were having issues with? So if you, because every kid self-diagnosed, right? You know, every kid self-diagnosed himself. And typically the diagnosis is there's nothing wrong with me. Totally. That's the first thing, right? So after you self-assessed and said nothing's wrong with me, what did you feel or what did your parents feel that was an issue? Um, well, I mean, as any 17-year-old, I wasn't really getting along with my parents at the time, just normal teenage angst um, and disagreeing and whatnot. But, um, but it went a little further than that just with how like argumentative and everything I was with them. And I was, you know, sneaking out and hanging out with people that they had asked me not to hang out with. Um, I also wasn't sleeping at night. So I knew that that was kind of a problem. And I was like kind of self-medicating that so that my parents didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of, it was just more like, just like blatant breaking the rules and not not getting along with anyone at home and not wanting to be home ever and just that kind of what, what, what were you self-medicating with um alcohol and um and marijuana so did you feel like you had a, a drug problem at the time or did you just feel like it was something social i thought it was something social at the time um it wasn't until after the fact that I had realized that I was self-medicating. Um, but I, I thought that most of what I was doing was social um, and that I, it wasn't a problem. I had an excuse for everything. Um, but then I did start to, because I, I later was diagnosed with insomnia and I just knew I wasn't sleeping. I was definitely, and I knew I was doing it, self-medicating with alcohol at that point. So at 17 years old, I'm assuming you just walked into a liquor store and go, uh, "Let me get that uh, handle of Jack Daniels." <laughs> like, but like, where, where, were you, where were you? Where were you getting the the marijuana and getting the uh, the alcohol? Um, a lot of the the alcohol that I had at home, I was taking from my parents, um, and they they truly just didn't notice. They're they're not big drinkers, so they didn't. They weren't constantly looking at the alcohol, and they never. Yeah. They never would have expected me to do that, so they didn't think to check. Um, and the socially alcohol got from friends, and same with marijuana got from friends. Um, I was never able to obtain that myself. It was just friends who had older siblings or parents that would let them drink and whatever. I'm getting up from this uh, show today, and I'm walking to my cabinet, and I'm going to take a, a Sharpie <laughs> with me, and I'm going to mark every single bottle. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's 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 interesting because it, there's a lot of uh, common things. Like, like, what would it take for you to go to sleep? Would you drink a whole bottle, a half a bottle? Uh, no. It, typically, to go to sleep, I I would um, smoke marijuana pretty much daily. Um, so I was pretty tired sometimes by the time I got home. Um, I'm probably hungry. Hungry and tired, same thing. Surprisingly, <laughs> no. Surprisingly, no. But, um, uh, but yeah. So typically, I was I was tired enough to to go.
go to sleep just by smoking during the day, um, just like after school or whatever. Um, and it was like, it, whatever kind of like even worse night or if like it had worn off or whatever the case, if I had had caffeine or whatever the case was, it was just like a couple of shots or like swigs from whatever I had buried in my closet um, to, to help me go to sleep. So what time would you typically get to sleep? Like what time do you think you would go to bed? Two o'clock in the morning, yeah. three o'clock in the morning. All right, so you would, bam, three o'clock in the morning and then you had school the next day. Yeah, and I lived, I lived uh, like 25 minutes away from school at the time we were living with my grandparents. Um, and uh, so I had to wake up even earlier. And then at one point I had a zero period. So I had to wake up even earlier. So wasn't much sleep at all. And so how was, how was your grades at that time? It definitely started to tank. Um, it, I was definitely, I was a like mostly A, but A, B student, like a really good student for my entire life. Um, up until that point, I, I wasn't even sure at one point if I was gonna graduate high school because I was not, I wasn't passing classes. Man, so, okay, so, Talk about your friends. And so you, you were playing softball. Mm -hmm. You were doing drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. How was how did that affect your performance on the diamond? I it was my performance was very poor. Um, there was only a couple instances, but I would occasionally show up to practice and games under the influence of whatever, um, which is like incredibly dangerous. But like hindsight, of course. But um, but just stupid, like it was just like, I was asking to get caught and I was like asking for it at that point. Um, but you know, my, my coach didn't really notice it. He just noticed that my performance was really poor and I was pretty much benched all of my senior year. So at that point I knew if I hadn't already been um, signed with a, a college to continue my softball career, it wasn't gonna happen at that point if I was on the bench all season. Man, so did anybody address that, look, your performance is dropping, um, your grades are dropping, uh, what's going on with you? Like, is, like, what's up? Do you need to talk to somebody? Like, did, did anybody approach you? Of course, I know when you got to 417, they did. Right. Anybody, anybody before that, the coach, the school administrator, a best friend? Nope. Anybody? I don't think, I, I didn't really talk to my friends about my grades or or anything. Um, softball, no one really noticed. Um, not even my friends on the team, not the coach. Like they just didn't really, they just thought I just didn't care anymore because a lot of kids got burnt out. So they just thought I was getting burnt out versus just like not mentally being there. Um, teachers didn't really, notice um it was really just my parents because my parents had access to see my grades online um so they were constantly checking and um and that, i think that was a huge indication that something was off because i had been such a good student up until that point it was like very very extreme the way that my grades just dropped yeah uh, scott so how did the reach out occur who, who did did you did they reach out to you kind of how did, how did that relationship form between the parents and, and yourself 
Yeah, so, I mean, from what I remember, they they had just called in and had some basic questions. Um, and for us, normally, if somebody calls in, you know, we, it's obviously, we figure the parents probably only know the tip of the iceberg. And so what we do is just want to get them in person. Like, give me a chance to sit down with Riley. Give me a chance to sit down with the parents and find out what's going on. And so we offer that free assessment to the community where it doesn't cost you anything. It takes an hour of your time. And at least you leave with that option of like what we've recommended. Um, and then not only that, but if you decide like Riley's family not to do it now, you know down the road if you need it, where we're at, who to call and what to do. Um, and that's kind of how it played out. So do you do you ever get a family that come in with the uh, with their kid. Now you're talking to the the parents and the kid, and by the conversation, you know that this kid needs help and it needs need it right now. How do you go about? Well, you could ask Riley; she's persuasive. So how do you go about it and be persuasive enough to get the family to try and commit to something right away, understanding that there is a need. In all honesty, just presenting the facts, um, just going over with, with somebody like Riley, like obviously for her, drugs and alcohol were really the solution to whatever her real problem was. Um, and like kind of educating the family on the fact of like, I understand softball is really important. We always get student athletes in here where they're like, the sport is more important right now. And then when you can sit across from a, you know, a family and say, hey, right now you're putting your this sport ahead of your child's well-being, um, that's concerning. Most parents have the ability to be like, you're right, um, and what does this look like? And other families where it's like, hey, you know what? They want to kind of downplay the issue because I, I think it's really difficult for parents to admit that their kid is really struggling. Um, and it's easy for the kid to say like, everything's all good, like let me go play softball. Um, and so it's really understandable, but really just presenting the facts, letting them know what it looks like if they choose to do the sport that, listen, like you're gonna have exactly what Riley experienced where your performance with your relationships, your grades, your sport, we're all gonna suffer. And you know, if they're a senior, you're right, like, it, a lot of times the seniors are going to be the hardest ones because the parents are still holding on to that option of getting into college for that sport. But from our standpoint, when they're younger, they're freshmen and juniors and sophomores, it's like, hey, we can, if they're doing well mentally and you guys have a good relationship and they're back on track, they're going to do much better in that sport. And maybe they do miss a few games, maybe they miss practices, but this is always going to be more important because without them being here, the sport's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and as you can see from Riley, like it sounds extreme sometimes, but it, it gets to that level pretty quick. Yeah, and it's crazy because I, I when she started talking about the story and I'm sitting there going, as me as a parent, I'm like, hold on, the hell with softball. I, mm -hmm. I, I need to make sure that you're taken care of. Riley's like, I'm gonna play softball. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna be bad at it. I probably won't even play. 
yeah. but I don't have to go to to the treatment facility and, yeah. and get some help. Um, that's that's kind of deflection. That's their first sign of manipulation when it comes to <laughs> dealing with the treatment and and the parent at the same time. I got to manipulate one of them. Yep. Yeah, and, and in, in all honesty, in a lot of situations, um, there's something going on in the family that the family doesn't necessarily want to address. And when they come in, when they think like, I'm going to get my daughter help or get my son help, they come in and we sit down and go, hey, you're, you're part of this treatment and so is the family. Then they usually like don't want to deal with it and they would prefer to like focus on the sport and kind of say like, well, she needs like some therapy here and there. We can do that for her, but as far as our issues, we're not here for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. Uh, is that is that was something similar to your situation, Riley? Yeah, absolutely. So you had uh, some family issues that you guys were going through, and. Um, now the parents don't want to talk. I don't want to talk about that part either. Mm. And softball. So, <laughs> right. So can you expand on, on it a little bit on something that was going on? Yeah, I mean, uh, my parents had very, very strict rules and strict guidelines. And it was just like their way or the highway. And I, I, it was like that my whole life. And I think I got to a point where not only did I have like the, not only did I not care like about anything, but I was over it. And my parents, when it came to treatment, they they kept thinking, like they kept saying, they kept pointing fingers and saying, this is all her. Like we have nothing to do with this. It's her behavior. She's been acting out. She has this, she has that. She's been drinking, she's been doing this. Like it's, it's just all rightly. And it, it, they didn't have any ownership. They didn't, they couldn't see the role that they had played in that um, until we, until I, I was going to recovery and until we started doing family therapy. Um, this is a question I'm asked before we go on break. How, how did that make you feel to hear your parents saying that they have no role in this? This is literally all her. But in your room, with your door closed, you know that they play a role in this, right? So how did that make you feel? Well, I think that they had manipulated me a little bit in the reverse where they did make me feel like it was all me. Like I, I knew that, I knew that their rules were a little extreme or like unheard of. But um, they said unheard but, of. <laughs> but like they were still rules, and I was breaking them. And I thought I did think that it was all me. Um, and I just didn't. I didn't want to deal with the rules anymore. I didn't think. I don't know. I. I, I, I look. I get it. And uh, look, we got a lot more time to be able to dig into it and and kind of talk about it. Um, we're going to take a really, really quick break. We'll come back and kind of talk about, um, you talked about self-medicating. Uh, uh, we'll talk about self-harm. We'll really dig in into the family. And then we're kind of going to go in and, and talk about what 417 did um, to help and, and get you to where you are today. 
So uh, can you stick around for a second segment? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Look, we're going to take a real quick break. Um, before I go, I'm going to tell you 417recovery.com, uh, 855-417-2417. Also, um, 417recoverypalmdesert.com, 844-417-3417. Um, I'm here with the uh, program director of the Mission Viejo um, Center, loaded in Mission Viejo, California, Scott Callett, of course, and our, our wonderful guests, taking the time to help uh, kids and looking to save a life, um, Riley. So we're gonna take a quick break. Don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. 417 Recovery is located in Palm Desert and Mission Viejo in Southern California. We are a comprehensive clinically-based intensive outpatient program for adolescents struggling with mental health and substance use issues. Today's adolescents are faced with pressure to succeed in ways that previous generations weren't social media, high expectations, and a world that feels scary and threatening contribute to our adolescents' mental health. Nearly one in three of all adolescents will experience an anxiety disorder before they are 18. Symptoms of an anxiety disorder may include restlessness or feeling on, on edge, trouble concentrating, difficulty relaxing, and falling asleep may be easily startled and manifest in physical ailments such as headaches and muscle aches, fatigue, and upset stomach. Reach out today for more information about how we can help. Come back. Uh, I hope you went and got something to drink because I did. I went and got me some nice and they're not paying me, so I'm not showing their name, but it's some tea right there. <laughs> and then uh, Tony likes to laugh because when I have guests on the show, sometimes I'm back here stuffing my face because you sitting there listening to the show, you have no idea I got a mouthful of uh, crackers. But if you're watching, you're going, How the hell is he talking with a mouthful of crackers? I'm going to show you right now. So we're still here with 417 Recovery. Um, I love having them on the show. It is such a different show than some other stuff that we talk about because we are here to help save lives. Look, and I'm no superhero because I can't do it by myself. So I got Scott Callett from uh, 417 Recovery in Mission Viejo, of course, and then his sidekick, healthy sidekick, who's taking a nap because fighting crime is hard. Um, that is Stevie Coon out there at 417 Recovery in Palm Desert. And every now and then, if you watch Marvel Comics or you watch some type of superhero stuff, there comes a superhero out of nowhere have you, you haven't seen yet that they introduced to you that's going to continue to carry on the legend. And that superhero today is Riley, one of the alumni from uh, 417 Recovery out of Mission Viejo. So you are a superhero. Do uh, you have a superhero name that you like to use or anything? <laughs> No. Whoever, you, <laughs> you've, you've never thought about that, who you would be? Because uh, let you know, I was going to be the Dark Knight before the true Dark Knight, but he got the name before <laughs> I got it. You know what I'm saying? I tried to sue. You know, they would they sell a lot of court for 32 cents and a bag of beef jerky. <laughs> no. If you're looking for that high-protein fat snack to get you back on track. <laughs> the next stop is the jerky zone. Uh, all right, so... We 
talked about your introduction to uh, 417 and in the first segment. And of course, we talked about uh, some things that you were doing. You know, you talked about drug and alcohol use and stuff like that. And right before the break, I said something about going into self-harm because you kind of brought it up earlier and you kind of threw it away. You know how you just say something that you kind of threw it away like I really didn't hear it, but I wrote it down because I knew I was going to come back to it later. And the time Perfect. is now. Right. <laughs> uh, so you talked about self-harm. What did that mean to you? What what put you there? Um, if you if you remember a date, um, because dates impact people's lives because you know where, where you were when something happened in the world. What was your date first and foremost? The date? Yeah, do you remember? I don't remember the exact date. Remember I remember that? I remember it being in February of 2013. That's good enough for me. 2000 2013. <laughs> so I could, you know, and I don't have enough time in the show to break it down and tell you that I could get you there by going that there's only 28 days in, in February, just so you know. And then you tell me it's the middle of the month, then you tell me it's the middle of the month, then I go, okay, let's talk about 14 to 20. I'm not gonna do that right now, but I could do that. Sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was in February. Um, so kind of talk about what happened. Um, I was never really into self-harm, uh, like physically. Um, of course, drinking and smoking is gonna harm you, but um, physically I had, I had friends who um were into you know cutting in different places and like whatever else it just never really like i it wasn't my thing mm -hmm. um i didn't really see any help from it um and but i heard a lot about suicide and i had a lot of thoughts about suicide just casually you know with those times where you're maybe you don't know when you're driving your car and you're like i could just like easily just crash here or there and like it'll all be over and and just thoughts like that constantly. Um, and so one day I decided that I was just gonna try it to see if I could even do it. Um, and I just tried to, um, in February of 2013, drown myself just in the bathtub. And I, I really only tried probably twice and couldn't go through with it. Um, and luckily I was able to get the help that I needed before I was ever able to attempt that again. Uh, it, it just, I don't know if it made me feel better or worse that I couldn't go through with it. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And, and I'm not, I'm not your parent and I, that touched me. Like it hurt me that you would want to do that to yourself to see if you can go through with it. And thank God you couldn't go through with it because of course we wouldn't have the pleasure of talking to you um, today. Um, why, why did you, why did you do, why did you try to drown yourself? What, what made you think of something like that versus, I don't know what the normal way is, but you know, sure. taking pills or something like that. I just felt it was easy. Um, I didn't really have access to pills and I felt if I was asking then it would lead to red flags um I and seemed I didn't really have access to like razors or I like if I really wanted to I probably could have but I was just I think like if I was just showering one day and was like that this would just be an easy try um and 
it just didn't, no one knew. No one knew after I had done it either. There was no, there was no evidence of it. It was just an attempt and done and quiet. Um, you heard my monologue and it's about, uh, it's from um, Hamlet and it's about death, right? And it's, talk, it's talking about death and, and suicide and, um, and I, of course, I, of course, I didn't know your story before I sat back and kind of thought about doing that. Um, I'm gonna talk about two moments. The first moment is is once you tried that, what was the next thing that you did? Whether you got out the shower, sat in your bed, cried, whatever it was. And then the second thing is, did you ever think to reach out to anyone at that moment? to say, I really don't want to harm myself and, and put my family through the pain and, you know, stuff like that. Um, did you ever think about that, those two things? Um, the first thing I did after was I went and um, and got out that bottle of alcohol that I was hiding in my closet and I drank some uh, just to escape all thoughts and feelings of it and just put it out of my brain completely. Um, but I didn't think, I did think about reaching out to people, but my immediate thought was don't because I don't really know the word probably like, I didn't want to be embarrassed. I don't like to this day, I don't know why that would be embarrassing necessarily. But at the time I was thinking if anyone found out about this, I would be embarrassed. Um, and I didn't want my parents to be disappointed. I thought that they would be disappointed versus wanting to get me help or, you know, getting me on meds or like doing whatever else they they probably would have done. I thought that they would be disappointed. And I know in that state of mind, you don't understand that disappointment is uh, better than grieving. You yeah. know, you know, you don't think about that part of it, uh, but thinking back at it. So let, let's kind of dig into it and and. Are, are your parents still together right now? They are currently, yeah, they are together. Okay, at any point did they separate, think about separating, you know, did that happen? Uh, they, um, actually it was at the very beginning of my senior year. Um, it was like two days after school had started. They announced to uh, me and my siblings that they were, um, they were separating. And. How and did that make you feel? Awful. It, it was it was out of nowhere. Um, and I thought my parents were happy. And I didn't I also didn't see how if they weren't happy they couldn't stay together for us. Like it was just really hard to grasp um, because it felt it felt really sudden. So and of course just so you know they did a great job of kids shouldn't have to see it or, or deal with it so I think they did a great job of that that's why it seems like all of a sudden to you to them it could have been years of they like okay you know it's time to go so what was the reasons for them splitting up um there was a law behind it but um my the reason we were living with my grandparents was because my dad ha uh, was laid off in 2008 
and uh, he he had a really hard time finding a job, and uh, he didn't he didn't go to college and he didn't have a whole lot of like experience in other areas under his belt, so it was really difficult. And so we were forced to um, move out of our home and live with my grandparent, my mom's parents. And so my mom felt, you know, she she was financially responsible for her entire family, which was really difficult for her. So she felt a lot of pressure and she put a lot of pressure on my dad to find a job. And my dad was very, um, his self-esteem was really low um, for not being able to provide for his family the way he felt that he should. And ultimately he ended up having an affair and my mom finally found out about it. And that was like the final straw. How how did that affect you? Um, I mean, the affair in itself was very difficult to grasp um, because again, my parents looked so happy together and it was, everything was happening behind closed doors. So I had no idea. So it was a shock in itself. It's so, I don't even have the words to this day. Like I just didn't have the words back then either. I really looked up to my dad and um, even even through like the job loss and his low self-esteem and all of the issues that he was dealing with, I still really thought very highly of my dad. And yeah. to find out that he would do this with that person, especially just made me think very little of him and he at one point like we were like best friends so now we'll kind of fast forward and now we're gonna get back to 417 and because I, I think I think the family uh, dynamic of that is so important right for the listeners and the viewers to kind of understand the journey that you started and we talked about that and then uh, the family aspect of it um, because it plays a, a, a role in everything that you were going through, right? Mm-hmm. And you and that's something you guys probably found out doing group therapy. Were your parents um, very open or did they become open to the group therapy? And um, were they honest and forthcoming um, as were you honest and forthcoming when you guys started to do uh, therapy? And when you walked in there and you started to go through the, the treatment, uh, which who did you latch on to in um, 417 that you felt comfortable with, confident in, that you felt might be able to help you? Um, going into therapy, uh, my parents were fairly open. My mom more so than my dad because my dad had a lot to hide himself. Um, and it was... Also, the affair was something that we didn't talk about. It was like not to be discussed. No one, they didn't want anyone to find out about it. My mom told me in confidence. Um, And so to bring it up in front of my dad was not, it was just wasn't done. It wasn't supposed to happen at all. You said it wasn't supposed to happen. That mean it happened? Well, I, I would bring it up in therapy and it was, like a discussion for after therapy, it was like, we're not gonna talk about that anymore. Even though that's of course what we should be talking about in family therapy. Um, But it got brought up a lot because my parents were both 
fairly open except except for that, like to not be discussed. And uh, my mom more so than my dad. And when my dad would speak, it was like, I was very hostile and I was like, why are you talking? Like you ruined this family. Like it, you know, became that kind of ordeal why I had a really hard time forgiving him for it. And my mom kind of moved on and put it behind her because he swore it was over and whatnot. But I had a really hard time moving on from it. So I, I was like, I'm going to talk about it in family therapy. That is so interesting. Um, and I'm sure there was, everybody learned something from it. And I'll probably ask that question later. But um just like you, you remember we talked about uh, why, how did you feel about when you tried to commit uh, suicide and, and why didn't you reach out embarrassment? That's the same reason your mom probably didn't want to talk about the affair because she felt embarrassed and it has nothing to do with her, right? That's the first thing. You were upset and you had every right to be because I think most children when something like that happens and their family uh, separate, they want to find out whose fault it is, right? That I want to know whose fault it is that you two can't figure it out, right? So yes, that's why you said, no, I'm gonna talk about it because you want to get to the root uh, cause of it. Right. Um, so when did it all begin to sink, sink in that home life, was a reason, one of the reasons why you begin to act out or, you know, start doing drugs, uh, drinking. Did it, it, did it take that therapy aspect of it for you to kind of realize that? It did. During family therapy, my parents kind of just complained about me. Um, and the behavior that I had at home and our therapist would ask like what they would do in response to that, what the punishment or, um, or whatever it would be. And, you know, they'd be like, you know, we're going to take her phone away and we're going to take your computer away. We're going to take your TV, like we're going to take all these things away. And she, she asked them, well, what do you do when she does what you ask her to do? And they were like, nothing. And so she was like, okay, well, I, I think that like there needs to be, if you're gonna give, there also needs to be a take and, and vice versa. And you know, it can't just be punishment, punishment, punishment. It has to be reward too. And that's when I was like, oh, it's not, it's not me being bad all the time. It's not me breaking rules and misbehaving and not getting along with everyone all the time. It's my parents also not reinforcing that I'm not, I'm not a bad kid. I just have bad moments. And it, they made me feel like I was a bad kid. And family therapy woke, woke me up and realized that, made me realize that it was, it was the family dynamic. It wasn't just me. I had a yeah. huge role in it, but it didn't stem from that. That's good. So I, so I asked the question and I, and I kind of put like, Okay, seven questions all in one, so just so you know, that's my bad. Um, but I asked a, a question, and it, it's important. Um, when you got to four, uh, 417, who, which person did you latch on to and, and why? 
I had a friend that I latched on to um, that was also in the program. Actually, she was an alumni in the program at the time. Um, and she was just the kind of person that was like, I'm gonna be friends with you and you can't say anything about it and just like forced friendship. And I, but I went along with it. She was a good friend. And she just would ask a lot of questions that no one asked. And because she understood. I was about to say and probably because she understood, yeah. Exactly, yeah, she, she had been there. And I mean, different family dynamic, but same problems nonetheless. So yeah. she, she would ask the questions that no one would ask. And I felt like she really understood me for that reason. Um, and so she, she was a huge, huge part of my, my recovery and like a, almost like a therapist kind of, but a friend. So look, and, and, and I, we've been working with four, <laughs> 417 for a while now. And I think the alumni are as equally as important as the team that, that Scott and Stevie has working for them because you probably latched on to her because she was around your age and you know that had something to do with it. And then, and although they have some very young uh, looking uh, therapists over there, which we talk about all the time. Uh, uh, but I think that was probably the reason for you, you being able to have a closeness because it was relatable and she was within your age group, you think? Absolutely, yeah. And especially because it was relatable. I, none of my friends went through any of the same, the same situations or problems or anything that I was going through. Um, I found different friends that had different problems to, to get high with and party with and whatever. Um, but none of my like true friends ever went through any of that. So it was nice to have a like actual friend, friend that also knows what I was going through. Yeah, so once you went through the program and, and got help or while you're going through the program, did you, of course you couldn't hang with the same people anymore, yeah. right? You kind of had to rid yourself of that. How was that for you with that transition of, did you just go cold turkey, tell them, yep, and didn't tell them? Or did you say, hey, I'm going through a program and you're not good for me? It was kind of a little bit of both. Um, I think at, at first it was definitely really rocky because I was very resistant to the program. Um, still with the mindset of like, I don't need this. But once I finally understood that this was helpful and this is a real tool for me and I'm actually gonna feel better after this. I just started like distancing myself from the people that I didn't wanna hang out with and um, and started apologizing to the people that I did wanna start hanging out with, like my actual friends. Yeah. And, um, and it just, I guess was kind of gradual, um, just kind of cutting people out where I needed to um, and started taking everything pretty seriously when I when I actually felt the results. Uh, what was your, what was the best part of going through the program for you? What was that? That's a good question. I feel like there's a lot of- Thank you. 
there's there's so many great parts of the program i i think individual therapy and group therapy and just the support system around you um regardless of like including scott and and everyone else who was around uh, the adults the kids everyone um but i i think the best thing that came out of it was family therapy for me just getting to the root of the problem at home because living you know being in that household all the time unless i'm at school it 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 was difficult to maintain sanity honestly so yeah i did think family therapy was probably the the best thing that i got out of it that's awesome so so you're an alumni now right yes um what do you how often do you go back um and try and help kids. Why did you decide to uh, do that? Um, I was I was made regularly going to. Um, they invite alumni on. They were inviting alumni on Fridays to um, to group therapy um, to just kind of have a different perspective than the other kids that are in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to that very regularly. And life got busy I got a great job and uh, wasn't able to find the time to go anymore Um, but I'm always around and I love every great superhero is just so you know (laughs) (laughs) but I really like honestly I, I I don't want anyone to go through what I went through and I know that people do all the time so if if I can help in any sort of way to shine a little light on a situation or to offer what I've been through myself or any advice or anything I can do, I want to do it because it sucks going through that. And I mean, we just, of course, want to help like prevent that across the board. So whatever I can do, big or little, I want to That's awesome. So tell me two great things that came from 417 Recovery for you. What you, two great things that you have now that you didn't have before going to 417. Although the relationship with my parents is not like perfect, I think that all of us learned a lot about how to communicate and live together and even to this day I still use those tools with them um, and remind them of what we went through together and I think that our my home life and our relationship has like vastly grown and um, I don't live with them anymore which is also very helpful <laughs> to have my own space and they have their own space but um but really, we we got the tools and the help that we needed to be able to communicate effectively and nicely, and um, and I like we have we're in a great place now. Awesome. And second, the second thing. thing is, I feel like I really learned how to control my thoughts and feelings, um, to ask for help when I need it, 
and just how to battle it on like a daily basis because although I don't, I'm not going through the same thing that I was when I was 17, of course, but I, every day is still a struggle in its own way. And I have the the mental tools and the, um, and the support system to, to battle that and to overcome it. And I know even if my support system is not the same as it was also when I was in the program, I've still built such a wonderful support system around me. And I wouldn't have known how to go through any of the things that I do all the time if I hadn't gone through such an extreme thing. All right, so uh, one more thing you got from 417. It's a leading question. You know, I'm just trying uh, to get you. I don't I'm think trying to. I'm what trying about to snack. I'm trying. <laughs> what about snack? Yeah, he's a great partner too. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to help that longevity in that relationship. You know, you know, Tony and Mary hundred and some years, and um, so you know, I was trying to get you there so that y'all could be together for hundred and some years. Um, look, you're you're a fighter, just so you know. You're, you're truly, truly a fighter. I watch UFC, I watch boxing. <laughs> tell you that nobody, neither one of those guys or ladies in that ring can stand up to uh, you, especially with the stuff that you've uh, gone through and overcome. Um, how are you doing now with the quarantine? How, how are you doing now? Have you had to reach out to any therapists or anything like that? What's going on with that? I have, um, for a long time it was just positive thoughts, positive thoughts. We're gonna get through this. Everyone's going through this. It's not just you. And I kind of just was repressing it until I finally was like, it's okay not to be okay. Like, of course, everyone's going through this, but I'm having a really hard time going through it. And so I did reach out um, and I started going to therapy again. And it's been incredibly helpful um, so far. Um, but day to day, overall, I'm doing fantastic. Um, you know, other than being furloughed from my normal job, I have a wonderful job. Um, I still have a wonderful roof over my head. I have a, a beautiful family of my own now with my boyfriend and two cats. And hey. we're living the good life. That's right. See, I was trying to get her there, Scott, for a long time. I know. Go there. Go there, because when he watches it, he going to look at you and go, you know I love you so much, Riley. You know what I'm saying? I was just trying to get you there, Riley. Um, look, and just so you know, it's hard for everybody. Quarantine is hard for everybody. Yes, if, if at any point, any, you heard it from Riley. You know, reach out to somebody. Uh, if you had something to say to, to anybody out there, young or old, um, about things that they're going through or uh, anything that you want to say to to those kids or adults, um, this is a time to do that right now, Riley. Come on. Ooh. On the spot. I think... Always. <laughs> um, I think a huge thing, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter what you're going through, even if you're perfectly happy or if you're having a rough time or whatever the case is, I think therapy is so important and I think any, everyone can benefit from it and there's nothing wrong with sharing your thoughts and feelings with a, a random third party person that is not involved in your life just to get them out there in the world and sorted out and mirrored back to you even and it, I think 
I think it's a wonderful tool and I, I recommend everyone to try it if they can. That's awesome. There's such a negative uh, uh, stereotype on therapy when I think it's probably the most positive thing um, out there because everybody needs somebody to talk to. That's why I do a show, a Talk to Talk with my workers. I can talk to anybody and everybody. I get therapy every Wednesday when we come on or Monday and do a uh, 417 recovery show. It's one of my favorite shows. Um, and it's because I get to hear stories like yours um, because you're able to help so many people. Um, I look at, as I talk to you and I think that if we as superhero uh, group right here um, can save one life, two lives or three lives um, that we've done our deed uh, for the day. So thank you so much for sharing the story, your story. You are gonna be a, um, a beta. You're gonna be the first of many. So I have a question. I have a statement that I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna start it off and then you'll finish it. It will be on our channel at thsn.today. <laughs> thsn.today, you'll be able to go into our app. We will have a uh, spot that is uh, titled, I am here because, and it will be uh, short videos, maybe 15, 30 seconds long uh, that you can go and look at. So I am stalling to give her time to think because right now is the time where I say to Riley, I'm here because. I'm here because I want to help. That is the, did you see that Tony? Look at her eye. She looked at the camera and said, I am here because I want to help. And that is the perfect answer. It's, it's simple. Um, less is more. Uh, right. You can't make that up. Oh, you cannot make that up. That's you a cannot good. make that up. There's, that's going to be the first one, Tony. That's going to be the yeah. first one. Make sure it's, it's up uh, when this video goes up for her. Um, Scott, man, to sit back in, in the background and kind of listen to uh, everything that she said, it takes a strong individual with a whole lot of courage and confidence to be able to tell their story and not hold anything back. She was an open book, and uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate your help bringing her on. Um, how do you feel about listening to Riley's story and her being so upfront? Well, I can tell you that's why I wanted her on. I think that she's done so much for other people she, not, she doesn't even know. Um, and she's so smart. She just has it all. And, and I want to get that, that message out there. I want people to experience that. Um, but I also wanted to like, reconnect because it's it's been a long time and even though it has like she could literally call me tomorrow and say like hey i need help with anything and i'd help her it's that's just because we're we're here in this community we're here to help it doesn't mean when you're done with treatment treatment's over um, the support doesn't go anywhere um and she's just like an amazing person and why wouldn't we want to share that it's She's the reason we do this, and I'm so happy that she's she volunteered to do this. Yeah, that was that was awesome, um, Riley. Thank you so much, so 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 much um, for coming on the show. You know, I couldn't do it without the, the amazing guests that we bring onto the show. You guys are 50% um, of the success that happens on this show, and you are 100% the reason why we uh, do this and to try and save lives. 
So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Look, I, I know you out there listening, and I look, when you come and you watch Talk to Talk, you're getting fed. I, I know. Thanksgiving came early today, just so you know. So thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time to listen to my annoying voice once again. Look, please join me next time where my goal is to make you smile, make you cry, and or make you laugh. Look, but if I can, can do neither of those and neither one of those things happen, my goal is to educate and inspire. Look, my podcast will be covering any and everything from high school education, high school athletics, all things around our adolescence and all topics that can educate the community. I will continue to interview educators, athletic directors, and people that are superheroes that want to make a difference and impact your lives. Look, my hope is to share my passion for education, high school extracurricular activities, and higher learning. We will continue to cover those topics that will further our educators, build our community around education and topics that may save a life and stop the bullying. If you're out there and you are feeling alone, depressed, suicidal, or need some help, or just need someone to talk to, please pick up the phone and call a hotline or call our partners at 417 Recovery. Find me on social media anywhere on Twitter, Mo underscore or, or on Instagram at Mo, the HS Narrative, and make sure to subscribe on any of our uh, podcast apps. Look, I'm gonna leave you with this. Take some time, do something nice for someone else. In turn, someone will do something nice for you. Stand up for those that may be weak and be a voice for change. Stay motivated, pun intended. And remember, when adversity comes, look it straight in the eye and say, I am loved, I am strong, and I will overcome you. Like, I gotta go. You have been watching and listening to Talk the Talk with Moor for Tony, Scott, and the amazing Riley. Of course, I am Mo. Until next time, be the voice of change. 417 Recovery is located in Palm Desert and Mission Viejo in Southern California. We are a comprehensive, clinically-based intensive outpatient program for adolescents struggling with mental health and substance use issues. One in five students between the ages of 12 and 18 have been bullied during the school year. Bullying is unwanted, aggressive behavior that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. Students have shared that bullying hurts whether in person or through technology. The end result is that bullying is in, in any form is emotionally damaging. The effects of bullying can result in depression and anxiety, decrease in academic achievement, loss of interest in activities, changes in sleep and eating power patterns, low self-esteem, and social isolation. If you think your teen is being bullied, reach out for more information on how we can help your loved ones.